0: Joy to uh, announce a new member of Creekside Church, and again this morning, we get to do it again. We're going to announce Patty Fellers. Patty, she's standing here in the back. Lord bless you, Patty. Patty has been to Creekside before, but then she moved to Colorado Springs for three or four years, and now she's back again. And we welcome you, Patty, and we will pray for you just in just a second. And Patty's also going to be uh, heading up the Greeters Ministry, so you'll be seeing a lot of her at the door. So let's let's pray for Patty. Thank you, Lord, for Patty. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit that you do in people's lives. You you touch people's heart and you save them from their sins. It causes us to bring you worship. We worship you together today as a church, and we thank you. Uh, for Patty and her family, bring blessings to her. And we pray that you bless the service here to follow. In Jesus' name, we love you. Amen.
1: Just want to extend a special welcome to each of you who are gathering with us in person and those online. I know these are very, very challenging times we're living in. It's like one week, you feel like things are uh, kind of easing up. And then the next week, and uh, we hear news reports and the governor puts out another announcement about uh, need for caution and all this sort of stuff. So, hey, we're just trying to love each other. If you feel comfortable being at home, praise God, bless you. Uh, We miss you. Uh, Can't wait to see you again. If you feel comfortable coming, we're grateful for your presence, excited to have you here. I just ask you to continue to be considerate of other people. I know it's like you. we just don't want to live in fear. I mean, God is God, God, and uh, he still has us. We don't need to do stupid stuff. But we also need to trust that he is in control and that he's got us in these uh, uncertain times, and he certainly does. Uh, If you're here, Sunday school kids, are we uh, doing that now? Yeah, so those who are involved in Sunday school, uh, you are dismissed at this time. You can make your way to the back, and uh, they'll come back after a bit. I don't know that there are any other announcements that I need to make. I just want to congratulate the Markarts on the birth of their uh, new boy, baby boy, Gage, and excited for them and grateful for the blessing of the Lord. You know, God has blessed Creekside, I think, is that number seven? We've had seven boys born uh, to creekside church in the last year so 2020 in spite of all of its ups and downs uh, seven boys and so it's like uh, something in the water I guess I don't know there's no no girls so now the next round we're going to need a few girls I guess so that's that's great and uh, I'm okay, I'm not completely in liberty to divulge but I think we have a, a couple of other expectant moms uh, more expectant moms yet in the congregation so we're excited about that too so let's pray Father, we've been singing some songs about your faithfulness, and most certainly in these challenging times, we need to be reminded of your faithfulness because we are prone to falter, prone to fail, prone to stumble, and we are asking for you to meet us here this morning as we look into your word, as we worship in your word, Keep us focused on the glory and the majesty and the greatness of our God. And may we come to understand more fully all of who you are for us, and we just pray that we would grow to know you better and love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, it's been uh, nearly two weeks since we had the general election, and without any certified winner, uh, many people in the United States, I think, are more interested or, or less concerned about the identity of the person than they are about the integrity of the whole election process. It seems to me that if there aren't some answers to the uh, substantiated and uh, claims about fraud, that uh, there's a whole number of people in the United States, uh, probably at least half of the people who voted at least, who are not going to recognize or believe that any result is actually accurate and so it's a it's a time of doubts it's a time of concern it's a time of well what's going on in in our in our country we're concerned about what's what's happening and there are all these reasons for for doubting and it's not very settling well as christians uh, the christian life is not very settling sometimes either and. Matthew chapters 11 through 13, uh, Jesus has been about. We see the, the, the opposition against Jesus in these chapters. And we see uh, his ministry, which runs counter to some of what was expected, creates all these doubts in the minds of his followers. And we see it first off in Matthew chapter 11, verse 3, with John's question. Are, are, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? Are you really the Messiah, Jesus? Or or are we waiting for someone else? You see, John's own imprisonment kind of contributed to his doubts. Naturally, because he and others like him uh, weren't experiencing what they thought would happen when the Messiah would come. So him being in prison was like, wait a second. It doesn't square with what I'm thinking should be happening at this time in my life. Now, doubt for the child of God is not to be our normal experience, okay? But it is natural, and it's certainly understandable. When you think about what happens in our lives sometimes, there's a we're thrown at us because of adverse circumstances and difficult challenges that we face. It's like, well, is, is my faith really real? Is this Jesus person really who he said he was? Is, is his promise of forgiveness and eternal life true? When you think about it, you have the unexpected loss of of a loved one have a devastating financial ruin comes upon people sometimes you just see plain out and out injustice that goes rewarded rather than punished sometimes it's a debilitating ailment that comes along and you're going what did I do to deserve this how how did this come about I thought God was you know on my side I thought God was in my corner And so we begin to doubt, and and certainly, certainly, the identity of Jesus and the mission of Jesus is something that needs to be settled in the minds of his children. If we're going to actually march out and do what we were challenged with last week, make more of Jesus, (laughs) I'm supposed to make more of Jesus than my own peace? I'm supposed to make more of Jesus than my own people, than my own person, than my own pulse when I'm not really sure he's all that he said he was supposed to be. How can we be confident that we're willing to sacrifice for Jesus? We need to remove these doubts from our minds. And in fact, the the motivation, which is at the end of chapter 10, the motivation for making more of Jesus than any of these other things, is the ultimate reward. And so we live in the temporary waiting for the eternal. The challenge for us as believers is to live in this temporary, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the disappointment, in the midst of the discouragement, with the confidence that what's coming is way better than what we're experiencing. And so we see in Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 1, verses 1 through 6, that the doubts that that John presents to Jesus and the response of Jesus provides us with a paradigm, with a rails to run on in, in driving out doubt in our, in our own experience, teach us God's gracious remedy. So I ask you, invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to find two insights from John's doubts about the identity and the mission of Jesus that, that help us drive out doubt in our own experience. Matthew chapter 11, uh, beginning with verse 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. And it came about that when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Now, when John, in prison, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples, and he said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind received sight And the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. What a treasure of truth to help dispel and dispel and to drive out doubt in our own experience. The first thing that I see in the text is that, that our doubt it can be expressed, or as one commentator said, you know, kind of see the anatomy of doubt. We see what uh, doubt looks like, and so we're able to express this doubt, and John does. Mar- uh, Matthew chapter 11 marks off the next section okay, of the entire chapter. So it runs from chapter 11, verse 1, through chapter 13, uh, through the end of that chapter, okay? And indicates that Jesus was busy. He had instructed the disciples, right? Go out and go out and preach and teach and do these miracles and stuff. But Jesus wasn't sitting around. He was doing the same thing. He was going out and involved in this ministry. He was teaching, which was imparting knowledge in a formal way. And he was preaching. He was preaching, publicly announcing God's truth, calling God's people to understand who Jesus is, who he was. And what God's plan and mission was, and then call them to submission, repent and believe, and receive the gospel. He was preaching the gospel, the good news. I mean, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. He was calling them to come to me, all you labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew chapter 11. He was telling them, God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. John 3:16. He was saying to them, "I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies." Jesus was preaching the gospel, sharing with them the message of salvation. And while He's doing this, uh, He was going around. It's kind of like Billy, uh, like not Billy Graham, Franklin Graham. In 2016, Franklin Graham went around all these cities in the the country. He was teaching and preaching, okay? And so he has this 2016 tour of America, Well, like his dad used to do, going around the world teaching and preaching. Jesus was teaching and preaching in these different cities. And John's doubt about the identity of Jesus comes into play as Jesus is going out teaching and preaching because John had heard the miracles and the message and the mission of Jesus, but somehow he's sitting in prison and going, wait a second. This is not, not, not really. So we look at verses two and three. Now, when John in prison heard of the works of Jesus, he was move, you know, Jesus is moving around. Jesus is preaching this message. Jesus is doing this miracles. And when John heard that, what did he do? He sent his disciples, John's disciples, and he said, Go to this, the Christ. Notice that, that's interesting to me. Go to the Christ. So he, he, he had this conception that Jesus is the Christ because he says, go to the Christ, and then they went to Jesus and say, are you the expected one or do we look for another? What's going on? Now think about it, Who is this guy? John the Baptist. This is Jesus' cousin, right? He's the, the messenger, the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. He's the guy who said... Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, he is the Son of God. This is John chapter 1, verse 29 and 34. We're going to get back to them in a minute. But this is John the Baptist. He's the one who's made all these claims about Jesus. And John is in prison. Why is he in prison? Well, because he had the audacity to tell the king, uh, you're committing adultery. And you shouldn't be doing that. And so the king, Herod, put him in prison. And while he's sitting there suffering, he's confused. The doubt in John's mind was that of a child of God. As children of God, we come to question sometimes, is our faith real? Is this what we're following true? And that's where John was. In John's mind, he was a child of God. His experience with the Messiah wasn't squaring with his education about and his expectation of this person called Jesus. There was a disconnect. And you know what? John's disconnect is something that we can share. And there are just a couple of reasons that I think come from the text. You can weigh and judge it whether, you, whether they're true or not. That parallel our own reasons for doubt. A couple of them. First of all, unfounded preconceptions. We have a preconception about who Jesus is and what Jesus should do. Many people in John's day believed that the Messiah was coming, but the Messiah was coming with military might or political prowess to deliver them immediately from Roman rule. That's who the Messiah would be. He would be this military king or he would be this political ruler and he would judge and he would set things right immediately. He would bring in his eternal kingdom of peace and prosperity. But then what was Jesus doing? Well, you be the king, Jesus. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to be the king. Uh, Jesus didn't do anything to dispel the Roman oppression. He didn't do anything to stop it. In fact, here he went around healing centurions' slaves. He went around hanging out with tax gatherers and Gentiles. Jesus was the one who said, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He could, could, could he really be the Messiah? That's not what we conceived him to be. That's not what we thought he would do. And initially, he was supposed to be eliminating suffering, death, disease, hunger. But death, disease, and hunger still persisted. Oh yeah, he did some miracles, but he didn't cure everybody. He didn't take all the famine away. He didn't take all the disease away. And additionally to that, there was persecution and hostility. And people were making fun and mocking Christians. How could this square with the... Person that Jesus was supposed to be in their life. Well, you ever wonder why there's hostility towards Christians? Ever been the brunt of somebody's persecution? Have you ever wondered why your family suffered under the disease or difficulty or struggle that you experienced? I can tell you this. I returned from a mission trip one year and we had a gal in our congregation who was seven months pregnant. And coming alongside a family and doing a funeral for a seven-month-old stillborn child can rock your preconceptions about the Messiah who is supposed to be loving and gracious and kind and merciful and caring. Hearing news of... uh, one of our own church members or church family uh, dying in a well in Mexico, leaving a wife and one son and pregnant with another, can cause you to say, God, really? I didn't sign up for this. What's happening? And so doubt creeps in. And what do we do with it? And preconceptions were unfounded about Jesus. And we have preconceptions sometimes, too, even as people who put their faith in Jesus Christ. We have preconceptions about who Jesus is. The, the disciples themselves, they didn't even get it. Remember Philip in John chapter 14? Uh, if, you, if, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus says. Remember, think about Peter in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, who do people say that I am? Oh, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, yep, I'm going to go and I'm going to die on the cross. And Peter says, No. Stop that nonsense talk. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. No, it wasn't the right preconception. He didn't have the right idea. Worldly influences, worldly thoughts and worldly perspectives can influence us to the point that we even begin to deny what God's Word says about Jesus. And think about this. We ignore some people are teaching and preaching from pulpits that God wants everybody healthy, wealthy, and free from difficulty. Really? Really? They must not have read Matthew chapter 10. Make more of Jesus than peace in your family, than your love for each other in your family. Make more of Jesus than your own person, than your own pulse. Be willing to die for Jesus. Oh, that doesn't sound like health, wealth, and prosperity guaranteed. When Jesus says, if you're not willing to take up your cross daily and follow me, you're not worthy of me. People construe that Jesus is is, is loving. He's so loving. If he's he's all loving God, then then he's tolerant. And we should never say that somebody's doing something that's wrong, that's sin. Because we can't call anything sin. That's not being loving, some people would say. How can, and I've had this asked to me, how can a good and gracious and loving God condemn anyone to hell? Believers wondering, Struggling, challenged with what is going on. How can a good God allow children to starve to death? He's either not good or he's not all-powerful. Certain theology perspectives teach that you need to be liberated from your oppressors, and that's more important than salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. These are arguments that are made. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, Verse 14, I think we should have it. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We don't understand these things. So there are are all these unfounded preconceptions. Then sometimes our doubt arises because of unfulfilled expectations. We have a few records of John the Baptist uh, and his ministry. In John, uh, in Matthew chapter 10, or three I'm sorry, Matthew chapter three, verses 10 through 12, uh, John the Baptist was bold, he was brazen, he was brutal in condemning sin. Read on the screen what it says. And the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is being cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire." And he's speaking this to the religious leaders of his day, okay? And so John says, I'm the one who preached this message. So where is the axe? I don't see it. I don't see the judgment. I don't see these people who are mocking Jesus punished for their sins. No. See, Jesus' ministry and preaching was veiled. Uh, The fulfillment, and he he brought temporary blessings, right? Healed a few people, brought a few things to, to bear, but no real judgment or eternal bliss. It didn't happen when Jesus came. It wasn't like he had expected it. Where was the axe against judgment to end injustice and that would bring about eternal joy? I don't know about you. Ever wonder why? God continues to allow the horrors of abortion to continue? Human trafficking of young, innocent children? Why there is corruption and deception and dishonesty at the highest levels of government that goes unpunished? When's it going to change? If Jesus is the Messiah, he's going to right every wrong and bring justice to bear? This is the John struggle, you know? Why are believers allowed to be tortured and captured and imprisoned and brutalized around the world? I don't know. We cry out. I think sometimes I would cry out with the the psalmist. In Psalm 58, verse 11, he says this, Surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. John's expectation for the Messiah didn't match his experience, and it created a little bit of confusion in his mind. I don't know about you, but sometimes my expectation of who the Messiah is and what Jesus is supposed to be doing creates a little tension in my life. Um, I remember this doesn't have to do with the tension about Jesus, but I remember the expectation not matching the experience. When Marla and I were hosting uh, in the church we served, we were hosting Sam Rotman, and Sam Rotman was a a classically trained pianist from the Juilliard School of Music. He was coming to put on a concert at, at the church. And I was expecting some uh, rather high society, uh, kind of stuffy shirt, uh, you know, pompous uh, individual who was a master pianist. And uh, we hosted him uh, for, for supper. And what we experienced was a, a gracious, humble, godly man. And I'm telling you, he played for an hour and a half without a note of music in front of him, and it was music to the soul. It was absolutely phenomenal. He taught himself to play the piano on a cardboard keyboard that he had designed because his family could not afford a piano. That's when he started to learn. Expectation didn't match the experience. Our experience was much better than the expectation. John's was less. <laughs> okay. And so sometimes ours is, is less. And so John asks, he says, Do, are you the expected one? Or uh, the ESV, I think, says the coming one or the one who is coming. This is code word for a Messiah. Are you the dude? You know, are you the guy? Isaiah 40, verse 3. Are you the messenger, the one coming, making way, the, preparing the way of the Lord? Are, are you the one? A cry from help, I think. This is John's cry for help. Again, this is the guy that said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now he's saying, are you the guy? "I, I thought you were the guy, but are you really the guy? What about you? Is he really the guy? Is Jesus really the guy? Is he the expected one, the Messiah? In a moment of misgiving and doubt, here's John claiming the same statement that the the father in Mark chapter 9.24 who says, "I, I believe, just help my unbelief here. Will you help me here, Jesus? I'm just struggling a little bit. So help me, come along. Jesus is, I don't think, ever pleased with our doubt. But he never dismisses it. He never demeans us for it. He never condemns us because of it. He always wants to deal with it. He doesn't escape. We don't escape his notice. Do we expect a Savior? Do we expect a Savior? What is our expectation? Do we expect a Savior who accepts everybody, regardless of their religious belief, a universalism? That's not what the Word of God says. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus says, do we expect a God who is only love? He's not wrathful and judgeful, that he's not holy and just. Is that the God that we expect? It's not what the Bible says. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, I never knew you, Matthew 7, 23. Do we expect a, a God who will give us ease and prosperity? Well, just read the last chapter that we looked at, Matthew chapter 10, not the Jesus of the Bible we expect a Jesus who would never suffer and all this blood and gore and gooey stuff is, is nasty and uh, sadistic? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, The blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling cannot sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, but how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That's the Jesus that we offer. See, doubt is removed when we look at the record of Jesus and the person of Jesus and we reject the rhetoric of the world. So that was John's question. Here's Jesus' answer. We express our doubt. Now Jesus deals with our doubt. Our doubts are expelled. Uh, John was a, a great guy. I mean, the Bible says of John that he was more than one of the prophets. He was more than a prophet. And Jesus deals with them graciously, and so I'm just encouraged that Jesus would deal with our doubts graciously too. Okay, and so He gives this answer. He says in verse four, and Jesus answered and said to them, "Go and report to John. Now, notice what He says to report: what you hear and what you see. And then He starts with what you see. Okay, what are the works of God? What are the words of God? That's what you see and what you hear. So, I don't get lost here. But in, in four, He says. What you hear and what you see. But then in verse 5, he starts with what you see. Okay, what, are, what do you see are the works. Well, we don't have it in front of us, but the parallel passage in Luke chapter 7, verse 21, tells us what Jesus did first in response to the disciples. He deliberately and lovingly gave the disciples a display of his works. In, in other words, they came asking, are you the one... We want to know, and he says, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. Now I'm going to show you something that you should go back and tell John, what you see. And what you see are miracles performed before your eyes. So the very thing that caused John the doubt is the very thing that Jesus used to disprove his doubt. I'm not sure about your works. Well, I'm going to show you some works. But he didn't stop there. He didn't just show him the works. Uh, He powerfully punctuates his response of works by drawing John's attention to the Word of God in Isaiah chapter 35. In Isaiah chapter 35, verses 4 through 6, I want you to look at the screen because this is important because of the context. It says, say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Now, this is the, this is the Messiah that John is expecting, okay? Take courage and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. <laughs> now, John's wondering, where is this vengeance, okay? The retribution of God will come, but he will save you. Then the eyes of those who are blind will be opened, and the ears of those who are deaf will be unstopped, and those who will uh, limp will leap like a deer, and the tongue of those who cannot speak will shout for joy, for waters will burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. That's the Messiah he's waiting for. And what does Jesus tell John, John's disciples? What you hear and what you see. What do you see? You see these miracles that are being done in, in front of you. Okay, that's what you see. He's performing these miracles, and Jesus was the one Isaiah spoke of. Coming with vengeance to judge, but first, this is what John didn't get. He'd come with vengeance to judge, but first he was going to save. He was going to heal the blind, cure the lepers, raise the dead. He was going to do these things in preparation before the judgment came. Was out of order, according to John. So in your works, Jesus is saying, I'm the fulfillment of Isaiah 35, 4 through 6. You don't have it wrong, John. You've got the order a little bit reversed. You got the order a little bit out of whack, but I'm the guy. Not only his works, but his words. Look at verse 5. And the blind receive their sight. This is verse first part, and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. That's all Isaiah 35 being fulfilled in your presence. Now notice then he says this. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. The words, what you hear and what you see. I've told you what you see. Now that's what you hear. What do you hear? Evidently John's disciples were right there hearing Jesus as he was healing and doing that proclaiming the gospel in fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. Again, I am the Messiah. This is the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, which Jesus quoted in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. This is me. Here's here, there, Luke 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to free those who are oppressed. I want to make a point. Jesus' primary ministry was not miracles. It was a message. It came to preach, proclaim good news to the poor. Because his ultimate thing was not to bring physical healing when he came the first time. His ultimate thing was to bring spiritual healing to their souls. And to preach recovery of sight to the blind. The good news. What is the good news? That Jesus was preaching. You deserve God's wrath. And his judgment because of your sin. This is Isaiah 59 verse 2. Our sins have made a separation between us and our God. But... God sent his son, the Messiah, the servant of Isaiah 53, that he would take upon himself our iniquities, our sins, our transgressions, so that when we put our faith or our trust in him, we would be freed from those sins and delivered. This is the message that repent and believe and you shall receive. And now, I don't know where you're at this morning, but that's the message Jesus was preaching. That's the message we at Creekside want everyone to hear is that there is salvation from sin, not our physical ailments as the primary thing, but our spiritual ailment, which is sin, which separates us from God. And Jesus, dying on the cross, paid the debt that you and I deserve to pay so that if we would trust in his death and our behalf, in his resurrection as proof of conquering sin and death, we would be saved. So where are you this morning? Are you one of his children? Or are you just kind of playing on the fringes? Just coming to church, doing the church thing or listening online, because that's, you know, that's easier than even coming to church, right? Because nobody's watching, and uh, you can turn it off, or tune it out, or do whatever you want, and uh, nobody knows, right? But Jesus came, and I want to come claiming, and all of us at Creekside want you to know that there is this message of good news. In a day of pandemic, in the day of doubt, in the day of trouble, Christ redeems us from our sins, and gives us the promise of forgiveness and the hope of eternal life. That's the only lasting thing. And John got it wrong because he thought Jesus would just come and wipe out the enemy and introduce his kingdom. No, we're in the meantime. That's not come. That hasn't come yet. But when he does come the next time, that's what's happening. And so now is the time of the day of salvation. Now is the time of the Lord. I want to know. If you're not trusting in Christ, I'd invite you to put your faith and your trust in Jesus. And you can be forgiven. And then all that is anticipated in the Messiah, that eternal kingdom of bliss and the judgment of the wicked, you'll escape the judgment, but you'll enjoy the bliss. It's the word of God. That's what he was proclaiming. Scriptural evidence. Notice what Jesus did to John is the same thing that he does for us. He takes him to the word of God. You want to know who Jesus is? You want to know you're having doubts about his person and his character and his ministry? This is the place to find the answer. Takes us to the word of God. He takes him right back to where he he started. You're confused about this stuff, John. You didn't understand it. That's not your fault necessarily, but I won't explain it to you, he says. Ironically, what caused John's confusion was used to cure it. You're confused about who Jesus is? Let's get into the Bible and you'll maybe find the answer. Of course you will. That's where the answer lies. He did it. Jesus took John to God's word, which is was being played out, the works and the words of Jesus, authenticating his ministry and providing a taste of glory. What Jesus was doing gave him a taste, right? Not the full deal, it was a taste. That, and, and also understood that Uh, What had been broke out among them. This is the kingdom of God had been breaking out a little bit. They just saw a glimpse of it, but it was one day coming. Justice had not been experienced, but justice delayed is not justice denied. John, you want justice? It's coming. First, I want to see people come into the kingdom. Then the justice is coming. There were words of salvation. There were words of support. These words that God... God through Jesus gave John were to comfort him, to encourage him, to keep up. Then there are words of support at the end of verse, uh, actually verse 6, he says, and blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. So don't just look at the works of Jesus. Don't just look at the word of God. Now we need to look at the person of Jesus. Can you just trust me, he says. Just trust me. We sang that song. He has never failed us yet. But doubt means we don't believe that or we wonder. He's never failed me yet, which means he's not about to. It's difficult. It's hard. It's disappointing. It's discouraging. It's troubling. But this is not glory. And Jesus says to John and Jesus says to you and to me, this is not the end. This is not the end game. This is the in-between time. Heaven is coming when eternal bliss and the judgment of the wicked will come. But in the meantime, we struggle and we suffer and we battle and we war. But I will never fail you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. It's a wonderful word, blessed, or blessed. Okay, It means to experience the favor of God and to be envied by men. To experience the favor of God and to be envied by men. Simple, joyful submission to Jesus is another secret that will secure our faith. Not just the Word of God about Jesus, not just the fulfillment of Jesus of the Word of God, but also our trust. In in Jesus, who is the word of God, will secure our faith and is a pathway to blessing. Jesus had given John enough evidence, okay, uh, to eliminate any doubt about his messianic ministry, his divine authority, his mercy, his ability to come and judge rightly. All that stuff was bound up in Jesus' works and his words. But now he just says, you know what? I'm going to ask you to trust me. I mean, all of John's questions weren't answered. All of your questions will not be answered. All of my questions are never answered. You can't, like I said, stand by the tomb of a seven-month-old premature infant and just go, oh yeah, it's, it's all good. You know, I've got this all figured out. Without questioning in your mind, what is going on? But in the depths of your soul, you can cling to the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He will never leave us or forsake us. This world is not my home. Heaven is coming. If we anxiously await a Savior who will right every wrong and will wipe away every tear and will heal every disease and will right every injustice, that's coming. And we live now in the pain of the temporary, awaiting the joy of the eternal because God has given us this life in Christ who is our life. The kingdom blessings had broken in, but they weren't fully realized. And while judgment had been delayed, it was not going to be denied, okay? And he comes with this words of support, just trust me. You know, when I was a little boy, I had this problem that I would faint, okay? I would, I would, I would get up and I would faint, and my mom and dad kind of freaked them out, kind of freaked me out. I didn't know what was going on. Uh, later in life, uh, I think uh, the technical term is syncope or something like that, but it the, the just means that you have uh, a loss of blood pressure in your brain, so your brain kind of blanks out and you pass out. Okay, so if you're dehydrated or whatever, you can talk to Dr. Bradley over here later and he'll give you the full scoop on it. But I had to have an EEG, okay? So I went for an EEG. I'm like eight years old and I'm going for an EEG. Well, an EEG is an electroencephalogram, okay? So they they attach all these electrodes to your brain, you know, to your outside of your brain. They stick them on there and you have to lay on this uh, bed in this dark room and you have to be completely still, you know? I was scared. I didn't know what was going to happen to me. I had all these electric wires. I didn't know if it was getting electrocuted or what. And I had to sit there and my mom and dad. So, you see, the deal was I didn't know all the answers. I didn't have all the answers to all the questions. I was scared. I had to go into it. But guess what? I was trusting in my parents who were by my side and were holding my hand. As a child of God. We have to face the uncertainties and the fears and the questions and the doubts confident that it is Jesus Christ who is by our side, and he's holding our hand as we walk through these uncertain days. I think that's what, well, my way of putting what Matthew eleven six 6 says, blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. Don't let it trip you up that its life is difficult. No. We can find kingdom blessings, and we find them, and we partially experience the kingdom blessings here, okay? One day we'll know them completely. Uh, Troubles we now endure are temporary, and the judgment that is delayed will not be denied ultimately. That's where we live. That's what we hang on to. Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Jesus Christ takes away the sins of the world. He's coming someday and he will vindicate the righteous and he will render justice on the unrighteous. So as a believer, what does it do for us? It gives me courage. Okay, I can keep going because I know who holds the future. Okay? It gives me comfort to know that when I doubt, Jesus never deserts. He doesn't leave. There's a neat passage in 2 uh, uh, Timothy, is it? Yeah, Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.13. If we deny him, he will not deny us. Think Peter. Remember Peter? He denied the Lord three times. What does Peter do, or John, Jesus do? In John twenty one or 20, Jesus shows up. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Hey, Peter, do you love me? Hey, Peter, do you love me? Jesus didn't deny him. He didn't desert him. So you may doubt, you know what? God's big enough to handle it. He won't desert you. So there's, there's courage to press on. There's comfort in, in knowing what, what's happening in our lives. And, you know, it's this. We believe, Lord, just help our unbelief. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, my challenge to you is to do this. First of all, consider. Consider the fact that Jesus Christ actually did, the person of Jesus, fulfilled all these prophetic fulfillments and prophecies of the Messiah. That's amazing. That should cause you to wake up and say, Look, really? All that happened in one person? He did it? These prophecies about him were realized in the person certifiably fulfilled it, okay? Not, not fabricated, certifiably fulfilled it. And then I want to challenge you to contemplate the message of good news. You're messed up. I'm messed up. We're all messed up. We deserve judgment. But God, in His grace and His mercy, paid the price through the person of Jesus so that if you and I put our trust in Him, we're free, forgiven, and we can live now in anticipation of heaven. So I invite you to trust him as your Savior. Just confess him as Lord. And you know, as we, as we think about communion, isn't it interesting because the word of God confirms that Jesus is the Son of God. The works of God through Jesus confirm that Jesus is the Son of God. Our trust in Jesus who fulfilled the word and the works of God gives us confidence that Jesus is the Son of God. But his death and burial and resurrection are just further evidence that this is true. That Jesus is the Son of God. That he came to this earth to redeem lost sinners of which you and I are all part. And his body broken and his bloodshed symbolized by the bread and the cup are a reminder of his love for lost people. And as we break this bread and take this cup, we do so in remembrance of Him and rejoice that if we're one of His children, we are celebrating what He's done for us and we are asking Him for courage to keep going when we doubt. And if you don't know Jesus, I invite you to trust Him and break the bread and drink the cup for the very first time as one of His children. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would help me, help each of us, Father. We have maybe seasons of doubt or periods of doubt, and maybe some are in that season right now. I pray that the, the words of Jesus, the response of Jesus to John, taking them him to the Word of God would be a, a, an encouragement, reminding us of the works of God, through the person of Jesus, would be an encouragement to us, calling us to just trust in Jesus who has proven himself faithful, that would be encouraging to us. Help us in our doubts, Lord. We believe, help our unbelief. And as we take this bread and this cup, I pray that we get to know you better and love you more, live for you more faithfully, and love you more fully, and serve you more consistently. We pray in Jesus' name.